Hey everybody, it's Matt Johnson. We're back. This is another edition of the Pursuing Results podcast where we interview successful people about one book that changed their life. We're talking about an amazing book today that's been super influential in my life and influential in the life of my guest today. We'll bring him in in a second. For now, let's uh, let's bring in the uh, the junior grandmaster himself in the co-pilot seat. Greg, what's up today? What's up, Matthew? How are you? I figured I'd go with your full birth, given birth name today for some weird reason. I don't, I don't know why. I know, you've literally never once called me by my full name. No, because it creeps me out. Um, but I got to I'm pretty sure nobody's called me that since I was five years old, and it's probably my mom. Oh, it's definitely your mother, because you were in, you know you were in deep shit when that happened, too. <laughs> okay. When you get your full, your first, your middle, and your last name, you're like, oh, I better just sit down and take the beating. That's right. Because here it comes. But I'm, dude, I'm, I'm really, you know, I've been looking forward to this interview with Greg Harrelson for quite a bit. You know, I know that you guys, have, this book has really been influential to you. I have not had the opportunity to read it yet, so I want to get your points of view. And then, of course, as you two were pay, making fun of me pre-show, yes, I will download it and listen to it and not read it because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> you make fun of the, dis, the, 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 the kid on, in the podcast with a problem mentally. Yeah. Nicely done, gentlemen. <laughs> Mental problem, that's right. Uh, <laughs> we'll eventually be sponsored by Audible, so it'll be all okay and people can get down load it there. Uh, so, uh, so Greg, he mentioned your name. So, Greg Harrelson. Greg, what's up today? Hey, man. I'm uh, just a lot of things, and I've been uh, tearing it up all day and excited to get over here and talk with you guys and uh, and just share and uh, who knows, and learn at the same time. So, I'm, I'm ready fun. to kick this thing off. Cool. Yeah, we've got uh, court here shortly after we wrap up the podcast. So, if he goes <laughs> right. flying out the window at the end, that's why. <laughs> That's right. All right, so let's uh, let's get into this. So we're talking about the ultimate sales machine. So let's let's get into first of all, kind of take me back to when you originally encountered the book and what did your business look like at that point? And um, well, actually, actually, let's back up a little bit further, just because we're not necessarily speaking to people that are in the real estate industry who do know you yeah. well. Give us the sixty-second bio on who you are, where you are, what you do first. Then we'll get into the book. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't even think it's going to take 60 seconds, but, you know, it's, I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I am in the real estate industry, um, and, and, you know, the good thing about this podcast is I know you're not just targeting real estate agents, and, and when I thought about this book, you know, I was introduced to this book when I went and saw Chet Holmes through a, a Tony Robbins event called Business Mastery, and then I immediately rushed to the book, and this book has nothing to do with the real estate industry. What it has to do, in my opinion, is it has to do with entrepreneurs, or it's speaking to an entrepreneur who wants to really grow their business. So I happen to be in real estate, been selling real estate for 23 years, own um, four different Century 21 franchises, am still recruiting um, you know, agents and looking to, to expand that into multiple cities and uh, just having a good time with it. Yeah, yeah, and, and for those that don't know, I mean, Greg is very well known in the real estate industry. I mean, he's a master of uh, of marketing automation. He's very much uh, uh, in uh, what you would call it um, in coordination and, and helping Infusionsoft really tailor their their package for the real estate industry. And so he's extremely knowledgeable about what's going on, uh, not just in the real estate industry, but just marketing in general and entrepreneurship. I mean, it's you're you've got your hands in a lot of different things. You're not uh, you're not a real estate agent. You are a business owner that happens to be in in real estate. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. As a matter of fact, December 31st, 2004, I um, I decided I would no longer call myself a real estate agent, and I was a business owner slash entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah you know, I just happened. Thing. I just I just happened to um, you know uh, play in the the real estate space. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that's kind of how I mean. But you and I, Greg McDaniel, uh, that's how we both look at it now. Is mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we both come from from out of that world, and are now getting into more of looking at it through an entrepreneurial mindset. Which books like this are are huge because if you listen to the standard material out there, it's all very sales oriented, and there's a lot of pieces missing. There's not a lot of educational material for the real estate industry that comes at it from a true business owner's perspective. So you really do have to reach outside the industry to get that perspective, which is uh, which is how you came across the book. So. All right, so now let's go back and, and tell me a little bit about where your business was and the state that it was in when you came across the book initially. You know, I mean, where, where my business – I was a grinder. So I, I'm a, a real estate agent. I did own a real estate company. You know, I kind of was wearing both hats. And uh, But when I think about where was I, I, I was in full grind mode. You know, it's wake up every day and grind, grind with the mentality of the harder I work, the faster I'm going to get there. Um, you know, that's that's where I was. Now, you know, I, I cannot remember how many sales I was making. I'm sure it was, you know, well over 100 sales at that time. But, you know, it was, um, I think the more important thing is is I wasn't using automation. I wasn't even really that interested in websites. And, you know, I thought about, you know, websites is just a waste of time. You know, database marketing, all that stuff was a waste of time. All I needed to do is just make a certain amount of calls. And if I called a certain amount of people, then I would be able to get a certain amount of appointments and that would convert to a certain amount of deals. It didn't really matter if it was real estate or widgets. You know, it was just all a numbers game. So that's where I was mentally. And I, 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 I say I was doing well at that, but it was not something that I, I felt that, that I could sustain for an entire career. You know, right. I wasn't going to just yeah. retire that way. But yeah. were you having fun? I mean, that, I mean, it doesn't sound like you're having – you're working hard, but were you having any, any fun at all doing that? No, no. I mean, you know, I guess I had convinced myself that um, I was doing what I, I needed to do, and so therefore I felt maybe I was accomplished, but fun? No, that wasn't the conversation. Yeah, it's. It, I know the feeling. I mean, I've done – I was I, back a couple of years ago. I was doing 85,000 phone calls in two years. You know, on grinding it out, 500, 750 yeah. phone calls a day, door knock and following up and everything else. And was I grinding? Yeah, I was grinding. Was I having fun? No, mm-hmm. not one bit. So that's why I, that's why I'm so excited to talk with you and hear how you made that transition. You know, out of the grind to you know a different mindset. Yeah. What's what was the big mindset shift for you, Greg? Um, leverage. So I think what ended up happening when I when I got introduced to Chet uh, through his book as well as uh, you know I I read his book immediately after I attended his seminar it was just like probably I went to Vegas attended a seminar and I I, I probably had the book on the way on the flight back to the East Coast you know <laughs> no, because I'm like yeah no I I was not because what what I what I it was five days with him and Tony Robbins and what ended up happening is they woke me up. And I realized, hey, whoa, number one, I might have a talent that I could leverage myself, but I'm not going to be able to leverage my own talents inside of the grind. That's Hmm. not going to happen because it was like, wait, maybe I have some intellectual assets that I'm not utilizing. I'm, I was utilizing my physical as- assets, which is having the discipline to be able to stand up, make these calls, and do what I have to do for so many hours a day. That's the physical world, right? Mm-hmm. But then I have all these 
these ideas and I've got these masterminds and I've got all these things that I know that I could be doing, but because I'm busy physically doing this other stuff, I'm not actually leveraging the information that's in the mind. So that woke me up when he says, look, you've got to get this thing out of your mind and you got to start executing. And leverage and execution were probably the two words that I took away from Chet Holmes when I was first introduced. That set me off right there. Leverage right. is the biggest one I've found in, in my business is that, you know, a lot of the top producers, they don't leverage the assets around them because they think they can do it all themselves. They're number one. They're, you know, why would I delegate? I'm the best at it. But if you, if you, if you can, like, I learned how to use Snapchat from a 16-year-old that's going to intern from us. I leverage his not his his younger mind, and, and people when they start opening up their mind to that to that type of thinking, going, hey Matt or Greg, you have a special skill set. I want to leverage you to help me, and you were, and vice versa. Then then you know tip for tat, then it'll probably come back, and you're gonna ask some, something for me, and that's the way the world you know should be going around. You should be leveraging everybody else's because you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just need to be around the smartest people. That's all. Yeah, yeah, you know. So we should seek to leverage, and we should allow ourselves to be leveraged. Yes. And I think that's important. And that doesn't mean allow people to waste your time. That's a totally different conversation. But <laughs> I tell people around my office and any businesses that I own, I was like, look, your job is to leverage me because be assured I am going to be all over leveraging you. And in return, <laughs> you've got to leverage me. That is your job. And if you're if you're smart, you'll tap me for everything I have, and we'll both win in the end. Yeah. Well, it, uh, in terms of le leveraging you, in the sense of, come to me and get the stuff that that I that is the highest and best use of my time. Yes. I so uh, yes, exactly. And and maybe a, a way to explain it is this: is Somebody taught me, and I don't know which book this is or which seminar, but somebody said, it's not about being the resource, it's about being resourceful. So I, for those that are in my, my companies, I'm telling them, you've got to be resourceful. Tell me what you need. Pull it out of me. Let me be a resource for you. Now, in turn, of course, I'm going to be resourceful. And, and 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 leverage and get stuff out of them. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's that's true. I mean, I've, I've had it, it. reminds me of a million conversations I've had with my dad on on the spiritual side of things. If you want something, you pull it out of somebody else. And sometimes the people that are the best and have the most to contribute, they're not going to push it on you. You have to go and you have to pull it out of them. Yeah. But uh, so getting back to the leverage, the 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 conversation about leverage and why this is such a struggle for entrepreneurs and business owners. So what I mean, what what was the key for you? I mean, everybody. I think we. We're told about leverage. We're told that the, the key to growth is you know you have to hire, you have to build a team, you have to train that team, and different things like that. And let's say once you get the over the roadblocks of saying, well, I'm the best at everything. I don't want to delegate. Like once you cross that bridge and you decide, okay, I am going to figure out how to delegate. What what's what's then that next thing that's holding somebody back? What's well holding them back for delegation? And what I what I see being most common is. They uh, well, there's a few things. Number one, they don't trust that the other person's going to be able to do it as well as they can do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And and so therefore, they they in their mind they're hallucinating that you know, hey, look, they're not going to do it as well as I am. So then I've got to do it myself. But to be honest with you, I think that's an inauthenticity. I think that a lot of people that are saying that, it's just that they're afraid to relinquish control of what they've been doing because when they relinquish control of what they've been doing, guess what? They don't know what to do with themselves. So I think people hold on to things longer just to have a sense of security like, okay, 
I have a sense of worth because I have to do these things. And if they start relinquishing control and letting them go, then all of a sudden, then that goes away and they don't know what to do with their time. I, I really think there's something like that going on. Oh, well, either I, that I, I, or they, they know, they, they find themselves either not knowing what to do with their time or they know what they should be doing with their time. And that's the stuff that's your, the highest and best use of your time. But that's also the stuff that takes the most uh, mental effort, right? Yes. So, I mean, if you as a business owner, if you start leveraging yourself and you get those $10, $12 an hour tasks off your plate, guess what's left on your plate? It's all $50 and $100 and $500 an hour tasks. And those are not always the easiest tasks. Absolutely. You know, and I, I also say that um, I, I will agree, they're probably not going to do it as good as you are. But what does that matter? It doesn't. What does that matter? It doesn't matter. It's not about being as good as you are because here's what they're going to do. They're going to do it as good as they can. And if you're a good leader, you're going to help them improve and improve and improve. And then they're going to add their own twist on it. And next thing you know, they're doing it in someone else's eyes. They're doing it better than you are. Mm -hmm. It's just they're not, they're not doing it as good as you are is really just nothing more than saying they're not doing it like I would have done it. Who cares? Yeah, it's different styles, different personality types, the whole gig. I mean, that happened to me when I brought my ISA on. He took away all my calling, and I, like you were saying, Greg, I sat in my office in this chair just going, okay, now what do I do? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. known as the caller, right? And yeah. so it's, yeah. yes. I had to go out and, uh, I had to go out and uh, like Matt was saying, then I looked at my plate, okay, what's on it? Well, it's it's only those higher value items to do, and it was really it was yeah. really cool. I mean, that really was an epiphany that popped in my head. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. I can do all this other stuff. And but it then really... it comes down to, and we talked about this real briefly before we started recording, which is the the training aspect. There's there's the two the two sides of the leverage, right? There's the leverage, and then there's the training. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And I and I train and I train my ISA. I spend time with him, refining him, getting him better. Because in his and like you were saying, Greg, in other people's eyes, he's doing it better than I am. Yep. He, he's doing it differently. Yeah. So what, so Harrelson, what what does that I mean? What does that look like for you in terms of like your highest dollar activities and how much how much you're investing in in the training of your team? Like how much does that occupy your day and your week? Well, uh, good. Oh gosh, that's a great question. And and. I feel like I might I feel like just about every hour is training for me. And so training can come in different formats. Training doesn't have to necessarily mean I'm actually physically training somebody. You can train people by just being the best you are in do, and, and, and demonstrating your own craft in real life situations and let them all observe. So if you were to come into my office um, or I call it a training center, it's a you know 3,000 square foot is the upstairs and in that is one big room with about 50 to 55 stand-up stations and I work out of the middle of that room hmm. every single day and so I'm listening to them as this at the same time they're listening to me so I could be doing my own work for four or five hours a day on the phone and they're actually observing how I talk how I answer questions how I do this all of this is going on I call that training but I don't actually have to single that out in my schedule and say, okay, I got to spend this time training. I've set up the entire environment where it's really an open type of company where there's training going on all the time. Now, if we were to talk about structured training, I probably spend five hours of structured, scheduled training um, every week. 
Yeah. Hmm. Which is and about I do it all four hours and forty five minutes more than most entrepreneurs. Yes. And I do <laughs> it all through I do it all through conference calls. Um, or I've got you know I've got multiple offices, so I'll have a video. I'll have in my in my training room. I'm on it, whatever I'm doing in there is being syndicated to multiple offices. You know, uh, so they're in another room in another town actually watching. Yeah, like le- leverage upon leverage. Mm-hmm. Right, there's a really good new camera that's going to be coming out. It's called the Mevo M E V O. Costs about two hundred and almost two hundred fifty. Four hundred. Yeah. Um, I paid. I think 2.99 for it. It is a go buy it. It's in pre-order right now because if you're going, if you're doing that, it's like a complete production company within this tiny. It's like a, it's like the size of this mouse. I mean, this image uh-huh. does a small mouse. Really, really cool stuff. And if you're already syndicating, you can have interviews. You can be working with people, and this thing will automatically transfer from person to person. You can. It's really, yeah. really cool. It's That's cool. Yeah, broadcast right into Facebook Live, so you can set up a, like a private Facebook group for your different offices. Is, all, is it already? Is it already out? No, I think it comes out next month. Okay. No, they have no release date for it yet. Okay. Unfortunately, I talked to them yesterday. I was like, "Where's my Where's my camera?" <laughs> They're like, "Sorry." Yeah. Of course, you call them up. <laughs> All right, so uh, so let's get into the uh, the the next part of it. I think your the the next takeaway we want to talk about was the um was the education based uh, marketing. So one of the things I mean that's for anybody that understands like how me and Greg met. So we met through viral marketing, and this this book was a huge huge influence on the founder of that company, Frank Klesitz. Like the whole yeah. structure of like viral marketing and why you send videos to your database, it literally all comes from from this book. And uh, yes. so even Greg, before we started recording, you mentioned that that was a big aha for you. I think that was completely outside of and probably before you even came across Frank and viral marketing and that whole world. But I think that's why yeah. you guys align. So That's well, exactly is that... how we connected. I was is working really? databases, and hmm. um, and and then he started having this viral marketing. These videos were, and it, I was doing what he was doing. I wasn't using video. I was, but I was using the same kind of methodologies, and the the essence of what we were doing was in line with each other, which is really delivering value, not yeah. spammy sales stuff. Delivering value. So I think what we connected on is is the essence of both of, of what we were both doing. And it's merged and, and, and formed a relationship from there. Yeah, so let's dig a little bit deeper into that. And for people that may have not okay. have haven't read the book yet, so so talk a little bit about what's what was the big aha in terms of what when you're talking about it first. Let's define the database, and then why why would you bother to like change up your sales message? Why don't you just pick up the phone, tell them what you have to offer, pitch it, and see if they say yes? Okay, so what we were so it comes back to leverage. It's like okay. Really, when I'm making phone calls, and I and I'm following, you know, kind of the numbers game, I know that X amount of phone calls equals X amount of yeses and X amount of noes. But the noes are always more than the yeses, right? If I made 30 calls and I got two yeses, then I'm celebrating, like, yes, mm-hmm. I got two yeses out of 30 calls. But then what I started thinking about, I was like, wait, I got 28 noes, so. I invest just I invest more time on the no's than I do on the yeses. I know the two yeses, the average time on the call was probably longer than the average time for the no's, but when you accumulate all the time you spend in the 28 no's, that was more time than I spent in the in the uh and the two yeses. So I started thinking about I'm not getting paid for this time. How do I start monetizing the no? 
that was the aha. It's like, wait, I got to figure out how to monetize the no. I'm good at monetizing the yes. You say yes to me. I do a presentation. We're probably going to do business together. Maybe we won't, but more likely than not, we are. But what about all the no's? How do I monetize all the no's? And then I started listening to the no's, and I realized they, they in my business, they own property. So a no is no. I'm it, it, a no wasn't. No, I'm never going to sell. A no was, no, I'm not selling right now. So then I said, okay, to monetize the no's, I have to set up a system where I can win them over time. I can win them over. So in the beginning when I'm prospecting them, excuse me, guys, I'm putting in a charger here. But in the, in the beginning when I'm actually um, – you know, prospecting and they tell me no and, and then I would get their email address and say, hey, I'm going to send you some information. At that moment, they were an acquaintance. I mean, I'm sorry, a stranger. They didn't know me. I didn't know them, but they trusted me enough to give me their information. And I said, okay, if we're going to monetize the no, I've got to be able to figure out how to systemly, systematically take people from a stranger, turn them into an acquaintance, and then later on turn them into an advocate. And when I finally turn them into an advocate, over time I will get their business when they're ready and I'll get their referrals until they're ready. And I did that by automating this, um, the um, emails and drip campaigns and then making sure that I never sent anything asking for anything. I only sent things that were delivering value. I was, I was going to give, 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 and let the law of reciprocity take place. That's, yeah. that's basically what happened. That's interesting. Yeah. That's uh, exactly how I was raised in the business, Greg. My, uh, my father, who's been doing the real estate for 43 or 44 years now, he, uh -huh. he's told me, and I beat it in everybody's head, is exactly what, I mean, there's like listening to myself and what you were saying. I mean, we taught, everyone asked how to close a deal. Dude, you got to open a deal, open <laughs> a client with value. Don't try to like close them with some clever line. If you deliver quality product that's going to benefit their lives, they're going to view you as someone who is a, you know, a, a, you know, a friend, a cohort, someone that they can trust and collaborate with, not someone who's going to do a sleazy, you know, sales clothesline on them because you bettered their life. Why wouldn't they? Like you said, the law of reciprocity, why wouldn't they want to come work with you now? doesn't make it. I yeah, they're closing on you. I mean, mm -hmm. basically, what ends up happening is they're calling you and saying, "Hey, um, I need you to. Um, can you do this for me? Or you know, can you come over and and meet with me and share with me some information?" And yeah. you know, so we're coming from a place of, "Hey, you've delivered so much value. I see you as an authority." And so they assume the subordinate role. There's not going to be two authorities, right? There's going to be an authoritative and a subordinate in just about all relationships. I mean, maybe in the first couple of minutes, people are jockeying for that authoritative position. But after a few uh, you know, minutes, it, 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 everything kind of settles in. So when they were telling me no, I'd get their email address. I would then start you know, delivering value over time. And then they would then turn and see me as the authority. So when they called, they were like, yeah, I, I, can you help me? Yeah. You don't. There's if if in today's world in sales, and believe me, I, I am a salesperson and I'm proud of it. Um, and so don't take this wrong, anybody that's out there. But if you're in the sales business and you're still talking about closing, it's because you're not delivering enough value. Yep. Well, Greg, you could not have said it any yeah. better. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a, and that's the, I guess that's one of the things that really fascinates me because I, I naturally gravitate to more of the consulting advisory. Like I would not consider myself a strong 
closer, right? I just, I, for whatever reason, don't have that mentality. What's really fascinating to me is the people that do have that mentality that have that can also step into that that role of just bringing value and that very consultative mindset. Frank is one of those guys. Greg, you're one of those guys. Um, like, I don't understand. I guess the mental transition, like how you how you go from being a super hard close, like a grinder, and then and then your mind opens up, but you're able to step and, and you're able to occupy both shoes. Does that make sense? Like that to me, that's the hardest thing for an entrepreneur is sales, 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 while delivering value, value, value. It's like most people just have one or the other, right? Yeah, I I think yeah, I think I think a lot of people. You know what? I would say maybe there's quite a few people that have both. Maybe internally they do, but they've been taught to just be big-time closer, you know, ABCs, yeah, yeah. right? Always mm -hmm. be closing. So that's what we were taught. And, and it, it's not, it wasn't our teachers and our families and our moms and our dads that probably changed us. I think some of us have just been introduced to new technologies, new information, and we've gravitated to taking the risk. Because it is a risk to say, you know, hey, I'm not going to close on people. I'm going to deliver so much value, and then their close is not necessary. There's a risk, so you got to go all in on that if you're going to if it's going to pay off. Very true, but I mean the the way that you, people usually close, like you said, they do the assumptive close. Like you just assume that other person is ready to move forward, but instead of saying, "All right, well, so the next, what's the next steps?" You know, let's do this. You know, ask them. So where do you you know ask them the question? So where where do you think we should go from here? You know, mm -hmm. and if if, they, if you've delivered enough value, they will come to you, like you said. I mean, you don't have to chase them down, hunt them down, you know, repetitively do anything. They'll just be like, all right, Greg, I'm ready to go. I'm, I think it is the right time for us to buy, for us to sell, so, for us to do whatever in any kind of sales position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Change. yeah and, I, and I like another... the way you said that. You're, you're, the way that you said that, you know, what, what, I, what I was experiencing as you were talking is you were creating a safe space yes. for me to just be transparent with you. Exactly. And that, that's kind of what I hear, or what I experience. Yeah. And most time, what salespeople do is they they, they pull triggers uh, that, that that strike people's nerves, and they want to get away from that because they're getting you know you know that sales pitch is coming when they say certain phrases. Yeah. But then if you give if I give it back to you, put it in your lap, and say, so Greg, you know how would how would you like to proceed from here? You know what what would the next steps look like for you from here? And then let yeah. you tell it. I mean, it, 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 it's like you said, the safe space, the the comfort zone. You, you're not I'm not pushing you anymore. Yeah, and, and I'm really curious about that, Greg, because you mentioned kind of the the environment that you have, where you've got all these guys around you, um, and and I've seen you on Hangouts where you're training people, and and you you can train salespeople very very effectively. But I'm curious when you're teaching somebody how to phrase that on the phone, how to get the results that they want, while still being in that mindset of of delivering value first. How does that translate into the actual uh, like cold call or sales call scenario? Yeah. Okay. Good. So what what I see, I, I would say the the strategy or the the model to that you need to create on a call in order to stay in line with what we're talking about here, which is delivering value, is everybody has assume. Let's let's assume for a moment that we're on a call. Doesn't matter what we're selling, but we've we we've we've um we're aware that there's a slight hint of interest. Okay, it's not a, just an absolutely no. I'm never, you know, going to do anything. I have no interest, what and all. When you get somebody that has a slight hint of interest, it's all about asking questions, and we know that. But it's identifying motivation, finding out where these people are, asking questions like, so, you know, what's important to you? 
about this transaction. Let's just use it if you're, we're talking about real estate. You know, hey, I hear that you might be moving back to, to, to Maryland. I hear what you said. You may be moving back to Maryland, but I'm just kind of curious. I mean, what's up in Maryland? What's taking you up in Maryland? Oh, you've got grandkids. Oh, how old are they? Okay, are they are they into any activities? Yes, they're into these activities. Okay, so at that point, we can, depending on the age of the person that I'm talking to, let's just say that they're 63, 64, and they tell me they have grandkids that live in another town, and they're telling me about the ballet and the swimming and all these things because I'm asking questions. What I'll end up identifying is that the entire reason they are thinking about moving is because they want to experience what it would be like to live in the same town with their grandchildren and not miss any more of those events. Mm -hmm. See, yeah. through a series of questions that I can understand what the true motivation is to the absolute core, what's going on with this particular potential client. And then what I, my job is because that might not that that might be that's their motivation I might kind of read into it and say that's their problem that's mm -hmm. what they're trying that's the pain they're trying to move away from then I become solution oriented and my job is to give them options that will help connect them or move them from the pain to the pleasure mm -hmm. Yeah, you're that, a consultant. To me, that's it. I'm a consultant. I'm not, that. That's the conversation. It's always identifying to the core what's the true motivation so then you know exactly what you're selling. I'm not selling their house in that situation. I'm creating a space for them to actually live the dream and experience the joy that they want to have by being by their grandchildren. The house is just part of a transaction we got to take care of, but it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with what we're looking to accomplish. Yeah, you're, you're curing their pain. You're solving that 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 problem that they're having. We're, Greg, real question: Are we ever part of Howard Britton's Star Power? I all? never was. No, never was. I've been a Mike Ferry guy all my life. Okay, I, I thought I, I could have sworn you were because Howard used to talk about going three deep. We have the initial three or five deep initial question, 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 core problem. Mm -hmm. You know, really digging down on it because people give you surface stuff all the time. Absolutely. Like you, were, like you, what you were doing right there. Like you said, I created a safe space. I felt very comfortable with ha the way you were handling that. I, 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 in my mind, I was like, I am 63. Damn, I look good for 63. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, I have grandkids. But I felt comfortable. <laughs> I'm like, I like this guy. I don't know why I like this guy, but I like this guy. Yeah. You know. And, and I think of the ballet. I'm like, oh my god. I, you know, little Susie. I she did her ballet last week, and I missed it because we couldn't get there. I don't want to do that again. And that's so that's interesting because in it's, as opposed to you making statements, you're you're asking questions that gets them to draw it out of themselves, and yeah. they're literally amplifying their own pain in the process of answering your questions, which makes yeah. it easier for them. Like when you then make the statement, so what you know, what do you think our next step should be? Well, our next step should be let's get my home on the market so I can get up to Maryland. They make yeah. that decision on themselves without you having to close them and get them, you know, like hey, when can I come over? Uh, or yeah, if you do, absolutely. it makes that a lot easier and less uh, less fearful, I guess, for them. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to be you, you want to be a resource for them in all ways, shapes, or forms. And if it's not the right time, then give them whatever they they're going to need for the time being while they're still in town. But you know, like you subtly grew that that pain that Matt was talking mm -hmm. about. That was phenomenally done. Yeah, yeah thank awesome. you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, good.
All right, so uh, we'll finish up on education-based marketing. There was something that we, we talked about a little bit before we started recording, which was the, the concept of the Dream 100 and figuring out uh, kind of really who you want to, to work with, and this is something that I've done in my own business. But um, I'm curious, kind of like, can you elaborate on that a little bit, and how did you incorporate that into such a stock, you know, what sounds like a run-of-the-mill kind of um, just mass prospecting game like real estate sales? Yeah. So what what Chet was he talks about in his book, and and this is one of the this it's chapter nine by the way. I mean I know the chapter, <laughs> I've read the chapter so many times, um, and you know when he's talking about the Dream 100, what he's telling us to do, and 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 other people have have talked about you know you got to get your list and you got to work your list and whatnot, but it, it's real simple. He 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 taught me a a strategy. And instead of saying Dream 100, which is 100 people that I wanted to do business with, what I turned around and did is I said, okay, what's the Dream 100 markets? What are the Dream 100 communities um, that I want to actually focus on? So I took the concept, and instead of focusing on people, I focused on actual communities and neighborhoods themselves. And I, I kind of wrote down some things that I, you know, from the book because I, I thought we would probably talk about it. But you know the process was you you know identify your dream 100 or it could be a dream 50. It wasn't 100 communities for me, but it was 30 communities for me. So I I, I would identify what 30 communities do I really want to dominate. And then what I would do is then you know once you identify the 30 communities or the 100 people, then you stretch out and you you write down you create a, a marketing calendar for 12 months and you go ahead and figure out how many times are you going to email this person. And what are you going to email? So you're going to email them 18 times in 12 months? Well, then go ahead and write out all the 18 emails. Don't do anything until you got this all done. Write down the 18 emails. How many times are you going to physically mail them? I'm going to physically mail them four times a year? Then go ahead and design the postcard or design the mailer and have that ready to go. How many times are you going to talk to them? How many times are you going to advertise uh, you know, to that segmented group maybe in a custom audience on Facebook? How many times are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And you would figure out a calendar over 12 months where you would hit them not only would you call them, hit them on the phone, but you would show up in their email. You would show up in their mailbox. If they opened up Facebook, you were inside your sponsored ad that they would see. In, in other words, it was total immersion. I'm going to go after this group, and I'm going to hit them from multiple medias, and I'm going to plan this out so when this postcard hits on January 15th, then the calls are scheduled on January 17th. Because when this piques their curiosity, then we know that we got a 25% increase in return if we'll follow up a postcard with a phone call within a 48 power, uh, period of time. You know, so it, it's a very strategic. And I always thought of like, you know, remember that? Um, I think it was a gosh, Desert Storm, and they talk about shock and awe. Yeah. That's yeah. what that is. You're hitting them by sea, by air. On the ground, that's shock and awe. And so you do that for 12 months. Now remember, it's all delivering value. Okay, yeah, we're not saying, we're not we're not hitting them all this shock and awe, saying you need to sell with me, you need to sell with yeah. me. No, it's like, hey, strategically in my market in October, the tax property tax bills go out. So I knew that the October pieces, whatever we were going to be doing in October, it was going to be built around, hey, just letting you know you're probably going to receive a tax bill in your in your mailbox in the in the next couple of weeks. And when you do, 
look at this particular part, the assess value. If you feel like you're, you know, assessed too high, reach out to us. We'll give you some information to determine whether or not you should appeal your value and drive your pro your property taxes down. Like mm. now, I would think out the entire year of what happens at different points, and then my message would be, you know, you know, would be tailored to those events that were taking place. That's, that's awesome. The, that that's how I manage the Dream 100. Again, I didn't do 100. I did the like a Dream 30. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. I, I was very curious about that. And, you know, like in a professional services business, like what what I what I do, I mean, I can narrow it down to specific people. Yes. And have like a top 12, and then and like kind of 150 general database of people that I think will be good referral partners or maybe potential clients down the road. Like with that, I can narrow it down to actual human beings that I want to yes. build a relationship with, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is the key. If you're going to shock and awe, you better shock and awe with something that's not just a sales message. It better be it better be value. Uh, the yeah. people get tired of it really quickly. Well, the consumer the the consumer has the remote control. They have the mute button. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's called unsubscribe or, you know, just never open the email, you know, all these different ways. They, 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 they control the mute button. So, and, and I think people underestimate this. You know, yeah. people are building databases and they're sending stuff out thinking that all these people are like engaging. Like they think that the size of their dot database is the size of their audience. No, your mm. audience is only the size of the people that are consistently opening and engaging within the emails or whatever it is you're sending over and over again. Now, and if somebody opens it one time, that's not the audience. The audience are the habitual people, the ones that are opening it every single time. So size of your database could be a thousand and your audience could be like 50. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's you know. the important part to, to remember and nobody really thinks about it. Everyone's like, oh, I got a 10,000 person database, but you got only 200 people that are opening it because you send out crap. That's right. Don't, don't, don't try to be, don't, don't, don't be so in love with yourself and the size of your database. You need to be in love with the person that you're reaching out to and bringing as much value to them. Think yes. it through their mind. Would you click on this? Would you open that? Mm -hmm. And if it's like, hey, don't forget to send your clock, turn your clocks back. Mm, everybody yeah. sends it. Everyone's. I, I've had somebody literally tell me, and I've had all kinds of great little comments, but <laughs> one that just sticks out in my mind is this: I had a husband tell me that he's never going to sell, but he's already discussed with his wife that if he passes away, that I am their realtor. Wow. Now I knew, like, like I, I love to tell things like that, because it just that validated to me that at least in some way, I'm delivering value. If this guy is going to go out of his way to tell me that when I die, I've already instructed my wife that you're our guy. Wow. And I don't even know the guy. I don't know the person. This was a person that I just he was probably a no sometime, so I was monetizing the no by putting him in the the, the email. So he was a stranger, but then he became an advocate. Mm -hmm. And that can you imagine if we just do this over and over and over again? This is Greg, remember hey, this is fun, Greg. Th that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> Having some guy call up and you're like, I don't even know what you look like, but I'm gonna be your agent. 
Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> well, cool, guys. Well, I can't think of a, a better way to wrap things up right there. So the uh, the book is Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. It really is amazing. You should go buy it immediately. Uh, I mean, this is one of those that's been out for a long time. It's super influential in a lot of people's lives. And if you haven't read it already, you should definitely read it immediately. Uh, yeah. But, Greg, how to uh, Greg Harrelson, first of all. So how do people yeah. uh, take a step towards you if they want to find out more about what you do or, or just want to learn more about uh, what you've got going on? You know, I've got tons of um, of, of just, uh, you know, uh, videos on YouTube of just training real estate. Anybody that's out there in training, if you're not in real estate, hey, man, there's there's things out there that I'm just constantly pushing out to YouTube on things that I've learned about database marketing. None of it's for sale. That's not what I'm up to. But uh, what I am doing is I am contributing also to my own industry, and I just let the law of reciprocity kind of come to me. You know, from there. But I'm very accessible. Greg Harrelson at gmail.com. Anybody want to just email me? I'm passionate about what I'm doing, and I, I love you know sales and business and entrepreneurship. So you know, it's I'm kind of weird like that, where I I, I love people to reach out because I enjoy answering and 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 engaging and having conversations. Quite frankly, I believe I can teach you everybody something, and I also believe I can learn something from everybody. So you know, that's how you reach out to me. Yeah, that's well, awesome. Yeah, there was a uh, Christmas said something really interesting when we interviewed him here a couple weeks ago. He said, "Are are you are you willing to learn from someone that's different from you?" Ah, yeah, that's great, great, like great quote. Like I was, I was that, yeah. that floored me for a second because I'm yeah. like, you know, like we get caught in those clicks, right? We we whether it's an yeah. industry click or we, even within our industry, we have our clicks of people that kind of feel the same way that we do and read the same books and then follow the same gurus and all that, and we tend to only value their opinions because they come from the same framework, right? Nothing wrong with that. That's human nature. But are we willing to? To really have that that humility, to be able to say, I literally can learn. I can pick something up from this person. I may not agree with everything they have to say, but I can pick something up from just about anyone. Yeah, that's great, awesome. I love it. Great. All right, guys. Well, let's uh, we'll we'll go ahead and put a uh, a nice little bow on this, and we'll call it good. And uh, we've got another podcast to record. So for everybody, uh, we've got some more amazing guests, more amazing books to cover. We thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on YouTube or iTunes or Stitcher if you prefer the audio versions, and we will see you guys on the next one. See you guys.